what I do with my clients now is I teach mostly women. I also work with men, teach women how to love their jobs or leave them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of No Fat Cats, where we help high-performing creative teams get even better. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. Today, we're going to have a great conversation with Krista Davis about leadership. So when I started the podcast, I really wanted to focus on three core areas, so strategy, execution, and then leadership for creative teams. And this one, I'm happy to get back into dive into leadership with Krista. She helps people either love their jobs or leave them. And in this conversation, we're going to dive into what it's like for leaders to do a lot of their inner work first. So you can only take your team as or organization as far as you've taken yourselves, which is a quote that she brings up. And I think it's extremely important for us to be aware of where we're at and to be able to set an example. And we dive into what it's like to create a safe space for people to make mistakes and in turn create innovation. Later on in the episode, we also talk about several indicators as to whether or not you should be quitting your job. So the first one is, I feel unmotivated. I'm not used to feeling like this. Or second, you start rationalizing your current state, such as I'm trying to make it work. And third, you feel stuck in a box of of habitual thinking and have a hard time getting out. If you experience any of those three things, it may be time to leave your job and pursue something else that's a little more creative. And Chris is going to go dive into that later on. We also look at what it's like to create a safe space for failure and creating an atmosphere that enables people to feel like they can speak up and know that they're not ideas aren't going to get squashed and how we as leaders can do that by setting the example. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Krista Davis. Hey, Krista, it's uh, great to have you on the podcast. Um, thanks so much for joining in for a conversation uh, as we explore about you know innovation, creativity, and uh, team building. I know we've been uh, trying to connect uh, for a few months. I was busy, you were busy, but glad we could finally uh, make it happen. Yes. No, this is an amazing topic. And um, like I just said to you before, as I was thinking about what to talk about today, there's so much. So I think you're going to have to help me really stay focused because it's just such a great topic. And I think everyone can relate both from a leadership perspective, an entrepreneurial perspective, as well as an employee perspective. Absolutely. And and I know the one thing that initially uh, caught my attention was just uh, hearing how you were in coaching um, in terms of like business coaching, uh, but also do a a whole slew of other things. Uh, But you also specifically work, uh, focus on, you know, women. But to go back a little bit, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your your backstory. I know you started a bit kind of in the, you know, corporate and then nonprofit. Um, Tell listeners a little bit about what your journey has been like uh, to where you are now. Yes. So it's, it's been a journey. (laughs) As you know, like I, I look back and it's amazing how all the dots have connected to leading to what I'm doing now. I never expected to be becoming a coach. You know, that's not something that was typically talked about at career fair. So I first moved to DC. I went to George Washington university. I thought I was going to go straight through college, go to law school, become an attorney. And (laughs) clearly that didn't happen. And it was really during college when the first seed for coaching was planted. So I was the textbook high achiever, overachiever, excuse me, overachiever, perfectionist, people pleaser, like everything looked great on the outside, but I really didn't have it together on the inside. And really coming to college, um, I really went through a very difficult transition. And it was the first time that I realized like, oh, I'm actually not the only one. Like most people don't have it together either. And that was the first time I really started doing the inner work 
I had a counselor and I really started exploring things and getting to know myself. And that really planted the first seed for me in terms of like, I wonder if I could do this for a career and just seeing how many other people were going through a lot of the similar challenges. So the seed was planted. I didn't act on it. And I found myself just falling into nonprofit work. My undergrad was in international affairs. I knew I wanted to make an impact. So I started working in organizations that focused on global affairs, global development, and I was working in fundraising and marketing. So fun. It was good. I I enjoyed it for the time being. But um, what ended up happening, and again, like I said, there's a lot of dots on this story. I got randomly connected with a mentor in a mentor matching program who was a coach. And I just think sometimes the star aligns, the stars align and it's meant to be. And she was the first person that said to me, have you ever thought about becoming a coach? And I said, well, you know, I, I mean, I was only 23 at the time. I said, can I be a coach? Will people take me seriously? And she really encouraged me to go for it. Really saw my, the strengths that I didn't completely see in myself. And I went through my coaching certification program, got certified, started my business on the side. And during this time, I kind of had another shift in my life in terms of um, the nonprofit, which I did enjoy working at for the time being. I kind of started to hate it. And the year leading up to my my decision to go full time, I was feeling really stuck. And um, I felt like I couldn't go full time. And as you know, as a business owner, it, 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 there is a leap of faith involved. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. Yes. And it, it's interesting enough, like this, it's what I do with my clients now is I teach mostly women. I also work with men, teach women how to love their jobs or leave them. And that was literally what I was going through through that during that time. I felt like I didn't know what I wanted. There was a lot of fear, a lot of doubt, but the truth was that I didn't know what I wanted. I wanted to go full time with my business. And ironically, I was laid off from my job and it was the best thing that could have happened, could, could have happened for me. It was so that kind, kind of forced you to, to, to guess it, to it on your own. It did. And what's crazy though, um, I have a lot of willpower and I was really stuck on the idea that I had to get another full-time job. So I was interviewing and it really wasn't until I, I met um, my coach, ironically, I, I meet people at the right times, clearly. And she really pushed back on me and said, Krista, what are you doing? And I said, you're right. And so I took the leap. And of course, as you know, it's hasn't been perfect, but it's been, I couldn't imagine living my life in every other way. I love the work I do. It's very rewarding. Of course it has its challenges, but that's, I guess that's my trying to think my story's so long. And then in addition to that, I also just finished up my um, graduate degree in organizational leadership and learning at GW. So I was doing that while I was also building the business. No, great. Well, I know, especially, you know, I find in my life whenever I'm talking with someone and whenever you have that sounding board where you can just bounce ideas off of someone and they can add value, whether it's like that mentor, Mm -hmm. someone who's that outside perspective, who's not emotionally attached to your work like you are, um, you can always have that chance to like speak clearly and say like, well, no, why are you doing this? Or um, like you, the answer is obvious. You should be doing X, you know, Y or Z. um, And they can always just bring that clarity that it is so hard to have when it's just you internally. Yes. And it's, it's also was interesting. It was her and only one other person that told me to go for it. And this person was a very successful entrepreneur. Everyone else, everyone else I was asking for, for advice. Cause you know, when you're in that situation, you ask everyone else, but yourself. 
and everyone else was telling me answers based on their own limitations. And like, oh, maybe you should work a little bit longer. And that's something we'll, you know, we'll talk about today because I see that, you know, sometimes we can't get, can't get out of our own limitations. And also from, from my perspective, sometimes you have to be aware of the stuff that people are projecting onto you when you're getting feedback and advice from them. So uh, I'm really curious too, then, as you've been going on um, and into the coaching space, you know, what are some of the, the mistakes you've seen, you know, especially, you know, audience here with kind of in that creative space and a lot of innovation, what are some of the mistakes that you see or you have seen when the people are making out there um, when yeah. it comes to, you know, trying to be innovative, trying to be creative? What are tips that you might have uh, for people in that space? Like I said earlier, I teach women how to love their jobs or leave them. And a lot of them, a lot of my clients leave their jobs. And it, it gives me an interesting perspective on some of the challenges and why they're leaving in, in combination with my graduate coursework. And for example, some, some of my clients, they leave their jobs because they realize they want to start their own business. And it's a little bit of an alignment thing. But other times, they're, they are being pushed out by things that leaders are doing organizational cultures are doing that if they fix those things, I think they find, you know, less employee turnover and whatnot. And I see innovation, creativity, especially I'm a millennial. So especially in our, in my generation, I'm not sure. Are you an X? Yeah, I'm a millennial too. Okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah. yeah the three kids, <laughs> don't let that throw you off. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's what I was like. I think he's a millennial. I'm not sure. Um, so especially wanting to create an impact. And part of creating an impact is innovation, creativity, being able to literally create. And make a difference, I, yeah. Exactly. And from a leadership perspective, I, I would say that what I'm going to talk about are just good leadership practices, but they also support the innovation creativity piece because they su support employee engagement. And of course, you need to be engaged in order to create. And something that came up a lot in my coursework um, was an emphasis on the soft skills. And it's crazy how these skills are called soft when they really are essential. And <laughs> maybe they should be called essential skills. Essential skills, yes. It's because you can be good at strategy and I don't know what other hard skills, but if you don't have the, if you don't do the inner work and you're not able to actually connect with your team and mobilize them and lead them, you're only going to go so far. And I think the first thing for leaders is to do their own inner work because they can only take their teams and their organizations as far as they've, as far as they've taken themselves. So I would say the first, like having working, whether that looks like working with a coach or um, even doing the work on your own, taking courses, investing in those soft self skills. I think that is so, so important. And um, part of that, like I said earlier, is that that connection piece. And part of learning and creating is you have to feel, and, and you know this as someone, you own your own business. Like if you're feeling super stressed and a lot of pressure is on you, I'm going to guess you're not going to be very creative. Right? Yeah, no, you're, you're too focused on that, on everything else. Um, and don't just don't have the time to be creative. No, absolutely not. So in, in a few ways, so I see this coming up in a few ways in terms of challenges. So first is the overworking. I mean, if you're overworking, you're not going to be able to get into that flow and that space to, to be creative. But from more of like an internal perspective, feeling like you're in a safe space to fail, to make mistakes. Because part of the, the innovation process is 
it's you're going to fail. It could be fail. Yeah. Yes. You have to learn. You have to feel like your ideas aren't going to be shamed or they're not going to be torn apart. So that is something, something else I've seen in organizations and leaders really need to be that example and lead with, with being vulnerable, making it a safe space to make mistakes. And you know, we, we live in a society that I think can, um, like we're talking more about the benefits of failure, but I don't think, I think we know it intellectually now that failure is good, but it's still really hard for people to embrace failure. And I, I, you probably, I know you see this in your work probably as well. Yeah. And I mean, no, and two, no, no one wants to, you know, pay people to, to fail, but it's ultimately, you know, some of those bad ideas or mm-hmm. that, that brainstorming process or that, Hey, let's try it. And yeah, it's a flop. It's a flop to finally get to that. Hey, this is a win. And I love what you said about the right failures. Yeah. I'm not saying just like be completely like brash and just like, Oh, like don't be intentional at all. But like you said, like strategic failure, strategic risks. So that way and having those conversations set up for, for ongoing reflection and ongoing learning. So that way people can, can learn from their mistakes and become better and benefit the organization as a result. And, um, I think that comes from leadership and which creates the the organizational culture. Yeah. So, so I'm really curious there too, especially as we're looking at, obviously in your case, looking at, let's say, you know, millennial, you know, women, um, you know, what are you feeling are some ways that leaders can, I mean, everyone's going to make mistakes. What do you feel like are good ways of addressing failure and using it to create an atmosphere of creativity and innovation? Yeah. Addressing failure. So like, like what are, what are getting tips on what are good ways to address it yet not have it come across as, Hey, you did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. Um, but how do you help people learn? I think it's first having that initial conversation. Like, I don't think that the right time to bring it up is like, Oh, a failure happened. Like this should be something that's talked about from the beginning and having a, this should be ingrained in the culture and in the way of doing things. It, It shouldn't just be something that comes up sometimes. So I think creating systems and processes in your organization that to create a quote unquote, a learning culture. So having these meetings, not, and we all know we've been in those meetings where you're like, what am I doing here for a full hour? Right. Where you're just not accomplishing ever anything, but having those conversations, like when there's projects, having, talking to your team, the understanding what their strengths are, getting to know them, talking to them about getting to know what do you, you know, what do you want to create and talking to them about the process. And I think, especially for leaders, also sharing their their own stories of failure and being open about those and what they've learned from them. So there there has to be like some type of process in place and it has to be an ongoing conversation and also having um, ongoing reflection. So we know what reflection is, but like, actually systematizing it. Like when you're doing a new project launch, for example, having reflection being built into the process. But again, it doesn't work if people don't feel safe to say what's really on their minds. Because you can have a meeting where it's like, okay, like, you know, let's reflect, let's look at how, you know, how we can learn from this. But if people are scared to speak up or they don't feel comfortable owning things, it, it's not going to go anywhere. So that's why, that's why when I say like really in creating a culture of it and to create a, like a learning culture, it comes from, I would say both the leaders, 
but also like the organizational systems and processes, right? You have to have those, like the actual systems in place, but then there also has to be, I guess, the less tangible aspect in terms of leaders practicing what they preach and demonstrating what a safe and quote unquote, like human workplace looks like. Does that... No, that, that, the no I know, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So it has to kind of come from you know, leadership to begin with in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, setting things and uh, making sure that everyone kind of understands that, hey, this is safe. And also like modeling it too, yeah. um, you know, because I think at times I have heard of leaders where it's like, you know, someone messes up and they chew them out in front of everyone. And then it's like, all right, well, you just showed everyone that, you know, it's, it's not okay to make mistakes because they're going to get, you know, in trouble for in front of everyone for um and guess what like innovation is going to go down because in order to innovate you're going to have to have some sort of high risk tolerance um exactly if you can't actually do that like say okay why i see why you did this good job let's make sure next time we improve on this it's like all right well if you just make someone feel bad like what's the point of that you know (laughs) exactly and I, i love i would say even go beyond that so i love your describing that's super obvious but what, what I've learned is that it's even subtle things. Um, like I would say, take it a step further beyond just being perhaps neutral about it. That's where that vulnerability piece comes in and leaders really sharing their own experiences with it and really creating that connection and actively sh- like encouraging these types of behaviors because it is somewhat... I guess I can speak also from a perspective of women. It's somewhat, we're somewhat counterintuitive for us to be outright taking those risks. Unless they're being modeled from, like, from, from leadership. Yes. Whoever that is in terms of stepping out. Do you have any examples of, without saying names, you know, anything Mm -hmm. like that where you've seen like, oh, wow, this should have been happening or, you know, an organization said they were about this, but, but they didn't. Any thoughts on anything come to mind there? Yes. So, um, it's it's interesting. I have plenty of examples of organizations that think they're doing one thing, but then doing something completely different. Just but not in alignment. Not in alignment at all. And it's, it's fascinating. And one organization that I worked for was all about innovation, obsessed with innovation. It's a buzzword right now. And it was fascinating to me because they, they did have an innovation process where you could submit an innovation and it went through this, this whole process. So they have the organizational process there they lacked the culture to really support it. And what I mean, so first it was a a nonprofit organization and it operated with a scarcity mentality. And you don't have to be a nonprofit to kind of operate from this scarcity, like not enough fear-based mentality. Do you, and I'm highly recommend Brene Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. She talks a lot about this in her book, which I, I love. All of her books are fantastic, but our culture, we, we tend to reside in this, there's, there's not enough to go around or feeling like we're not enough. And then especially in a non, the nonprofit sector, like not enough funding. And I would call it the land of no, because it seemed like even though it preached innovation, the really big risks or the really big ideas, it's like, oh, we don't have funding for that. There was always a reason why not to. HR was really strung up in their processes um, you know, very much kind of operating in the box. And what frustrated me as an employee there is talking all the time about the value of going outside of the box. And yes, we had an innovation program, but it, 
in my opinion, I never, I did, I try to submit an idea through the program, but it felt like it stifled my, my creativity. That's probably why I work for myself, but I just went ahead and did it anyways. It was an employee engagement program. I figured out my own ways to do it because I didn't want to deal with like a whole process, which to me kind of stifled the innovation. That's just my own two cents. Um, in addition, the leadership was very much, was very comfortable in their ways. And I thought many of the leaders should have been eliminated. They had been there for years. Um, but, and they possess the technical expertise, but not necessarily the leadership expertise. You know what I'm talking about. I think anyone listening knows what I'm talking about. And it was holding the organization back because they were, they were too comfortable in a way and comfortable People who are too comfortable are not going to be willing to take that jump forward. And to what extent do you think they started off innovating and started off going, but then they kind of got into this place of comfort that led to kind of stagnation and um, kind of so sort of like you build up, work hard, you know, reach a spot where you're comfortable and then you kind of keep talking about your core founding you know, values, whether that was innovation, but they're not acting on it because they're not continually getting better. Yeah. And I would also add like with an innovation, like we say, innovation, creativity, they're buzzwords. I think people like the concept, but sometimes they don't like the process of going through innovation. And what I mean, it can be painful. It's, it's uncomfortable. Yes. So it's just like, Oh, you, you want the result without going through the work. And that's where I think there can be a block with organizations in that, they have to completely, to be truly innovative, they have to literally like transform the way they're looking at things, the way they're doing things, which is very uncomfortable. And that, and that can be, uh, you know, people being laid off or yeah. you know, that aren't relevant anymore. Um, and that's that's never fun to go through, uh, you know, eliminate well, people that maybe served a purpose 10 years ago, but, you know, aren't now, for example. I, it's funny you say that one of my um, projects for graduate school was doing a consulting engagement with a, a company. And part of our recommendations were, it seems like there's certain leaders here that are holding you, holding you back. And if you really want to achieve these things, you're going to have to put the right leaders in place. And those are uncomfortable decisions. And you need the right type of CEO or leader in place who is willing to make those uncomfortable choices. Uh, absolutely. And so to what extent do you find that, you know, it's, it's that that process is getting the right people making hard decisions that leads to change. Um, and how often do you find that, like, what are ways for forcing change, you know, without necessarily firing people that you recommend? Do you have any routines? Do you have any things that you recommend of going through? Um, you know, so for example, like to give you an idea I'm, like, on my end, like, you know, I've done, been doing a lot of work. I went through the process of, you know, having, having some employees and then I'm kind of like, you know, I want to, go back and kind of focus on, um, you know, like the work that I want to do, what does it look like to like reduce my overhead, still like stay involved with people, but not, um, mm -hmm. but only be able to pull on them for projects when I'm like, oh, they're a really good fit for this. Um, and so it can be a lot of work because you have to almost forcibly change kind of like routines, like make structural changes that yeah. create like more freedom, for example. Um, do you have any tips on how do you continually reinvent yourself would say when you're an entrepreneur and is it through that coaching that you find is, is the most helpful or is it just a lot of reflection? Um, yes. Well, so it's different 
if it's like one person versus a whole organization. Um, in terms of an entrepreneur, I think um, staying on top of things and reinventing yourself and being able to be quick and agile. I mean, I'm going to recommend coaching, not just because I am a coach, but because I work with my own coach regularly. Like I practice what I preach. Like I love it because it helps keep me sharp. And sometimes even though I can self-coach, it is so much faster to get on my on the phone with someone else, you know, in my case, a coach, to help me really break through my ideas, get that perspective, and help me move even faster than I would if it was just me um, kind of circling, circling my head around. And I think what I'm also getting at here is with a leader or even an entrepreneur, I think it's easier, it's easier to do new things and to change when you're really taking care of yourself. And, and this ties into the, the creativity piece as well. I, like, I don't see our work as separate from, from our life. Like it's very intertwined. Like the person, if you're showing up at your job, that's that same person. If you're hitting the gym five times a week or zero times a week, if you're eating healthy foods, if you're getting enough sleep. So I like to think of the, the routines that we're doing on a daily basis can help us be more creative in our business. Um, if we're burnt out, it's going to be that much harder to muster the energy to think through the changes that are going to be right, right for us. And also to muster up the energy because you're right, like go, going through change, it, it takes, it takes a lot out of us and to think through the process, but also execute. So really making sure that you're taking your care of yourself. And for me, you know, I have my little routines I do every day. I practice meditation, I journal, I, you know, eat well, sleep enough, all of that to really ensure that I'm at my peak performance. So that way my business is also at its peak performance. Yeah, no, it does kind of help, help think through that, uh, you know, that whole process. And cause I, so I was curious too, you know, I've, I've had a number of, you know, people who've come and work, work for me. And then at times they kind of reach the point where, you know, the growth opportunities that they're looking for, mm. like, I just can't provide them and they do have to like move on to the next thing. And that usually results in a bit of soul searching, uh, you know, in terms of just figuring out what's next or they rather have something that's next to kind of create that opportunity. W what do you find as you've been working with, with women to help them decide whether to, to love it or leave it with their job? Great. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's great and catchy, by the way. Um, do you have any thoughts on like what tend to be big indicators? Like whenever you're going into meeting someone, can you, how long does it take you before you can tell like, yeah, you should probably leave your job or you should do this to change it. Um, have yeah. you found anything that tends to be like, if someone's thinking through that process right now of, should I stay or should I go? Um, you know, what, what are some things you help them think through? Are there any big indicators? Yes. Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, cause, cause I think especially for creative teams, like, you know, this is just a matter of you show up and, you know, push the buttons and turn it like you're actually being asked to be creative. And so whether that's, you know, through design or web or whatever it is, you know, video, photography, scripting, like whatever it is, you know, you're being asked to be creative. And if you're not up to your peak, like you're just not going to be creative anymore, you know? Um, yeah. Yes. No, it's so, it's funny you say that one of the big things I hear when I know it's a sign to start looking at things is I feel unmotivated. And then usually it follows, I'm not used to being like this. Because typically the women I'm working with are more high high achievers, not all the time. I shouldn't say that, but it's, they're like, I feel unmotivated and something's off and I feel like I'm behind. I'm not being proactive. And that's a concern. That is a big, 
ding, 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 like that, the, the bell dings when I, dings. when I hear that. Um, another indicator is feeling is, is a lot of reasoning. A, a lot of times I'll hear, like, let's say someone saying, oh, well, my job, it's, um, oh, I can use myself as an example. So when I was stuck, it, when I thought I was stuck in my job, a story that I was telling myself was, oh, I'd love to go full time with my business, but I can't do that right now. That's a so, story. So almost like, telling themselves a story that rationalizes their current existence. Yes. And yes, it's exactly the rationalizing. That is a big, big sign. Um, shoulds cans this is what's feeling like this is what's expected of me or being like well i feel this way but yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to make it work oh that's a big sign trying to make it work so a lot of times whenever i hear those and a, a big part of my work is is going through those perceptions because a lot of times we're just stuck in a box of habitual thinking patterns and we just have to step outside of that box and then we can start making the right choices, taking the right actions and then changing our situation. Okay. And so in most of those cases, when people are, are saying those things, um, kind of like those three, three big indicators, often do you find, is it really just time for them to move on to, to come to the next season, next chapter of their life? Cause I, I do think, you know, our lives definitely have, um, you know, times like very concrete seasons and chapters and at times when you're out of season you know the, the best thing you can do for yourself is close like close that chapter and, and move to the next and and i'm just curious to know, like your reflections on that especially when it comes to people and being creative and you know reinventing themselves and and, and stuff like that that's interesting yeah bring it back to the creative team aspect there so i, I will say i know i just gave some indicators there's actually there's even more those are just some of the common ones you know, I, I think you're spot on. Sometimes it's time for something new and, and sometimes we change, right? Like, like I share with you my career journey. I, it's a messy journey. And I think sometimes we can be um, scared by the mess. Um, something I see with some of my creatives, I find that sometimes creatives feel like they should be like they, a lot of shoulds. I've seen this some of my, my creative clients, like helping them leave their job and maybe start their own business. They feel like having a corporate job, wearing the blazer, whatever it is, it's what's expected of them. And then so, maybe these are the, the women that I attract and then helping them really embrace, like maybe they are meant to start their own business. They're meant to engage their more creative talents and helping them see that. Um, that is something that that comes up. And I don't know if you see it from your perspective, because you might be working with people who are already like happily considered a creative. But do you know what? I don't know if you can relate to that at all in your experience. In most cases, the people I'm working with, or if I hire someone are usually in the space, okay. like already. Um, but if anything, it'd just be the people that we kind of interact with on the client side. Um, you know, times we've met people on the client side who are working in a more of a traditional company that then you know hire us to produce something but then eventually they you know go their own way and, and start their own own thing or they're just ready for change so i definitely have met people in that space as well but also too even like is that you know, friends who have um who have been whether it's you know designers or creative directors who at times you know they felt like they needed to move and that's why to kind of be in a new setting take on new challenges mm. and how much do you find is that is it the new challenges that people need to be continually innovating or else they eventually 
you know, get bored. They have to have a, a reason why they're doing what they're doing. Um, yes. Yes. That's yeah, spot on. Like you need to be what you're doing needs to be in alignment. And I love what you said, like knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And especially if you are someone who is a creative, like you, you're getting, you find a lot of meaning through your work. And I would say like a work is almost like an extension of you. It's there's that self-expression component there. So I think that's 100%. I I've seen that, like you always want to be growing and it depends on the, the person um, as well. And in your situation as a small business owner, it's more difficult, I would say, to give your employees certain growth opportunities because you, you don't have a big, huge company where there's all these things going on. Like you have certain functions that need to be filled. So, I mean, in a way, like I would say that's part of life. Well, I think too, there's also been a big shift between you know, viewing work as, you know, let's say go back 50 years where it was like, hey, you worked to like put food on the table and that was what you did because, mm-hmm. you know, you wanted to pay your mortgage, you wanted to put food on the table and people would often clock in, you know, work at the same place for 40 years, you know, maybe move up a little bit. Um, but as things have become much more like specialized in services, we're now in a very different environment yes. where, um, you know, just thinking of it, you know, like, you know, websites didn't exist like, you know, 20 years, I mean, 20 years ago they did, but as they do now, like there's this whole field of creative services that just didn't exist, you know, X number of years ago. Oh, definitely. You know, with technology, technology. It's, you know, you're absolutely right. And I don't think in some ways, like what you're saying, like, I don't think workplace cultures have completely caught up with the switching culture. Like I would say some cultures are still kind of operating from that punch the, you know, punch the clock, put the thing on the conveyor belt, like, you know, yeah. factory <laughs> work. And it, it's interesting kind of what you're saying. I would say creatives, if you're creative in your work, that's on a completely opposite end of that spectrum. Cause you're not, if just to use the factory example, like to do whatever you're doing there, that doesn't really take creativity. Yeah, no, not really. And so I know at one point, you know, on a preliminary phone call, you'd kind of mentioned that, you know, the whole like nine to five thing, you know, didn't really, you know, buy it necessarily. Yeah. To what extent do you find is, and it, how how do you set rhythms for yourself? And I'm curious to know, like, yeah. what are some of your routines and rhythms? Because that's one of the things I've found is trying to get better at is, you know, creativity does happen when you can kind of add routines that let you not have to think about the rest of the stuff. And it creates brain power to focus on, like, what's really important. So I'm just curious, you personally, like, what do you find are some of those routines? You know, how do you recharge? How do you stay focused and, um, mm-hmm. you know, keep at the top of your game? Yes. Excellent question. And I've had to unlearn so much bad corporate programming. Don't get me, uh, that's a whole other podcast on why I think the nine to five is outdated and ridiculous. Um, (laughs) I really do because, and here, I'll start off by saying that. I don't think, and if you ask people and like, so have you worked a corporate job before? Have you always worked for yourself? Uh, Yeah. I've never worked a corporate job before. Oh, you never have good. You were just like, nope, not doing that. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I've worked, you know, for corporations, but never as a imp- corporate employee. So, so and I should say people, people are listening. I'm not like anti, like cor- if you work for corporate, that's fine. You love it. That's great. I just think that the way corporates are setting up people for, to work, like, I mean, now I shouldn't even call it the nine to five. It's like the eight to six because people are working so much, but you, I, now that I work for myself, I don't sit at a desk from nine to five plus and work. Like I don't, that would, that hinders my creativity. And I remember sitting at my desk back in my old job and being like, what a waste of my time right now. Like what I could really use is a nap, 
you know, a little exercise and then get back to work. So to talk about how this now transformed into my, you know, my new job, a big thing that I've had to unlearn and I'm still working on unlearning is deriving my worth from how much I'm working. And And I I think that is something dangerous that we have kind of in our cultures, like, oh, you stayed at the office until six or seven 30 or late or whatever it was. And like, oof, I'm really more valuable because I took longer to do everything. Exactly. And it's, you know, I, I'm so against this, like consciously, but there is that little bit of that subconscious programming that I have to be so aware of because when I overwork, we all know what happens. I get burnt out. And this is something I'll be so honest, like I'm still learning. I have to really be mindful of it. And just to give you an example of how this shows up, like last night I could have done more work, but I was like, no, take relax for the rest of the night, get to bed early. So you're refreshed tomorrow. So in terms of like my rhythms, I do some, I try to do time chunking. Like I have set client days. Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I make, I have a couple of exceptions depending on people's schedules, but I try to chunk my client sessions back to back with a break and then back to back. I try to stack my meetings on one day. I try to do a lot of my like work. I try to keep my Mondays open to do work, occasionally a meeting. So I I try to kind of time chunk in those ways. So I have space for my creativity And then I'm not like jumping from task to task too much because that as someone like my brain can go all over the place when I have ideas, (laughs) creative brain, like, (laughs) so for me, it's really like trying to stay focused with the task and a huge component kind of like outside of work and my, how I schedule it. Um, I have my planning system. So like, you know, obviously I have my plan for the year or whatever, but then each month I map out my goals, reflect on my progress for the previous month. Each Sunday, I sit down, I review my week, map out my project goals, and then the night before each day, I get crystal clear of what I'm accomplishing. So I have that whole system that really keeps me in check and also gives me some flexibility. And then outside of that, it's also prioritizing my well-being. So like I said earlier, getting enough sleep, exercising, um, especially with creativity. Sometimes it's just giving that space. Like for, I was just before we hopped on today, I was working on a workshop and feeling really stuck. And I was like, you know what? This podcast is coming at the perfect time because instead of like trying to push through feeling stuck, sometimes just stepping away. I mean, there's a reason why we get our best ideas like in the shower or when we're exercising. It's because there's that space there. So I wonder what are some things that work for you? So for me, um, I think trying to be deliberate, I, I know whenever I can always at night, know what my like goals are for the next day it's yeah. always you know so much better um and so for example like today i knew that i had a project i need to edit um and so i was like right, i'm gonna wake up and i was like keep my, try to keep my priorities few um and so because oftentimes trying to do too many things at once just doesn't like yeah. you can just especially i think when you look at the number of emails and you know I think we're actually like killing ourselves in terms of productivity with so many distractions. So I like went in, I, I like biked in about 30 minutes to the co-working space. And I was like, I need to edit like these four videos. And so I just set my phone on do not disturb. I like forced myself not to look at my email. Cause I know that as soon as I did, I would like 
get distracted yeah. or get derailed or as soon as I start responding to people, people respond back and you feel like you have to respond. So I just shut that off. I was like, I have to get this done here, um, you know, pound it out. And then I opened my emails like, oh, wow, there's all these emails. But I just, you know, there were three or four that, that were actually needed a response and I could quickly, you know, knock them out then as opposed to letting it drag back and forth, uh, you know, or, or or distract me midway conversation through that that whole time. Um, and I know, especially one of the things I heard recently was, was like, people often think, oh, well, if there, what if there's an emergency? It's like, well, if there's a real emergency, you should be someone, they, they should be dialing 911. Like, <laughs> no, you're not, what are you going to do in the case of a real emergency? <laughs> no, I absolutely. And it's, you're right, disconnecting. Like, I love technology. It's great. But just to share a quick example, my father's an attorney and I've seen like, over the years, how things have changed with the smartphone. Like when I was a little girl, he had his beeper, but now people call him constantly. Um, and I've learned, like, I, I, I feel like you have to set those boundaries in your business. Dad, if you're listening, that's a little <laughs> note for you, <laughs> but you know, because if not, it's, it's constant with the smartphone and with emails and everything. Yeah. And especially uh, as I've, you know, just listened to concepts of like, you know, deep, deep work and uh, you know some people putting putting books out there related to that topic and it is kind of interesting because initially you know we thought you know when I was growing up like the electronic distractions were all really just like generational like oh young kids play video games or you know are distracted but now it's like you realize like wait there's actually like this like smartphone addiction is applying to like even you know the whole spectrum from you know like people who are in their you know 60s you know 70s 50s like down to you know teens and uh and so that ability to like focus deeply on something is uh kind of being lost that we have to kind of fight to bring that back oh absolutely and it, it can be like it's another addi another addiction in a way um like scrolling and we all scroll and it's not just millennials too you know people say oh young it's people everyone are no it is everyone no, no, no it's everyone absolutely um, I know I was recently trying to do a recordings of podcasting with, with someone and the person I was trying to record with was like, oh, I, like, why are these people respond like emailing me at nine, like whatever, nine o'clock in the morning. And then she was responding. I was like, well, you are like, like she was responding. It's like, well, you know, every time you respond, people are like, oh, she's there. I could respond back. Um, yeah. And you're just like self-perpetuating um, that work. But really for, for creative, creative work, you, you do have to be able to set aside a certain yeah. amount of time where it's just like, no, I'm just going to turn all distractions off to really focus on something. Um, exactly. No, it's it, turning everything off. Cause yeah, cause the creativity, it's not coming from the email or the smartphone. No, it's no. Com it's coming from you. Yeah. And I think all these like eating healthy and, um, you know, exercising always seem to, mm -hmm. to play a big role, role in it. So it's a, I know so whenever I have that big pasta or carb lunch, I always get that lull afterwards. But whenever I have a salad for lunch, it's like, all right, keep optimum performance. And so no, but always it's helps true, a lot. Though. I mean, listen, I'm Italian. I love my pasta sometimes. But yeah, really like thinking about your body as a whole, like your mind, body and, and your spirit, your your soul as well. As Yeah, um, that's also part of it. Well, any last um, tips? I, I know, Chris, it's been great you know, having you on the podcast. I think um enjoying pulling out some of those just those three indicators for telling when you should uh you know change your job and who knows maybe that will become a blog post for you as well uh <laughs> later on um but i really enjoyed the conversation just thinking through how we be deliberate about creating safe spaces for failure which in turn leads to creativity and how leaders need to set the bar by starting to be open and that will in turn f help other people feel you know 
open, that they can be open about their ideas and know that they're not going to be, you know, laughed at or ridiculed when they do go out and bring a, a new idea to the table. Absolutely. And I just to add that to that, I think also creating for us individuals, like creating a safe space in our own heads to create. Because a lot of times it's that critical internal voice, you know, perfectionism, all those things are like the death of creativity. So I would say creating a safe space in the workplace, but also for ourselves to give us grace to really create and grow. And because at the end of the day, that it's all in service to our greater vision. Well, yeah, thanks so much, Krista. And if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yes. Okay. My website is www.kristadaviscoaching.com. So Krista with a, I don't know if it's going to be written there, but I'll put in the show notes, but yeah, D-A-V-I-S. And then if you go to my free resources page, I have an online Facebook group as well as a meetup group here in DC where I host monthly workshops. And I also do uh, online trainings in the Facebook group. So those are some fun ways to engage. And then, um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Krista Davis and, uh, Instagram as well. All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks. And that wraps up our conversation with Krista Davis. I know I got a lot out of it and I hope you did too. Some of the things I'm focusing more personally on are just really developing my rhythms and what those look like and making sure that, uh, you know, the business that I run is only going to be as good as I can take it. And I need to be taking care of myself in order to be able to have a successful business as well. I encourage you to just create an environment of innovation, not just use it as a buzzword, but actually creating a safe space for people to fail as we don't often think of innovation and failure going hand in hand, but they really do because it's out of the out of the ashes that the phoenix of innovation is born. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. If someone comes to mind who you think would enjoy this episode, please feel free to share it with them. Also, if you like the podcast, please leave us a review as that is one of the best ways for people to be able to find us as it really boosts our ratings on the the stores. So thanks for listening. And until next time, have a great one.